Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. While you're turning there, also put your finger on Luke chapter 13. Um, I do feel like this month in particular, there has been a very clear theme of what God wants to speak to the church. Sister Staten did a wonderful job teaching on heaven. And last week, uh, Brother Eric continued that theme and talked about what what we must face while we wait until we get to heaven. We're not yet standing within those heavenly gates, but we are waiting for the day when Jesus is coming back. Amen. And he is coming soon. But while we, may, while we wait, we must face some things and do some things. Trust God. Trust his word. And we must endure trials and persecution. And I'd like to continue that theme this morning of heaven and waiting and what we must do to ensure we make it to be with Jesus for all eternity. So, starting with Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, somewhat of a lengthy portion of Scripture, bear with me this morning, says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, Jesus says, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of, the pro- of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward- inwardly they are ravening wolves. He says, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Tree bring- a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth good fruit, Jesus says, is going to be cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we, ca- have we not cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works. And Jesus says, and then I will pro- and to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And now turn to Luke chapter 13, starting, starting in verse 23. Then one said unto Jesus, Lord, are there few that be saved? And Jesus said unto them, Many I strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and he has shut the door, and you now begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open it unto us. And that Lord shall answer and say unto you, I know not, I know you not whence ye are. 
Then shall you begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not when she are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Would you lift your hands and pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for your word, Lord. God, I pray this morning, Lord, help me, God, to speak, God, the word that you have given to me this morning. God, let the seed of the word fall on good ground. God, don't let it fall to the wayside. Don't let it fall amongst the thorns and the thistles, God, but let it fall on good ground that is ready to receive and hear from you. God, I pray, oh God, bless us today in our time of Sunday school, Lord. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my lesson this morning is Straight is the Gate and Narrow is the Way. As I begin this morning's lesson, I do want to state again that I really feel for this month that God is trying to communicate to us. Both Sister Valerie and Brother Eric have done fabulous jobs in their lessons. And early on, I already knew that God wanted me to continue in that vein. And as I was studying for this, the hardest part for me is really how do I convey to you all not only what the Lord wants me to say, but to convey this lesson in a way that resonates with each of you, but also challenges you to grow. And with that said, I'll admit, as I began to put this together, I struggled a little bit. My wife is my witness. She's the one who actually helped me, whether she knows it or not. But I struggled in how to introduce this lesson how to get it off the ground. And eventually, after talking to my wife, the word that came to me was acceptance. Somebody say acceptance. Many of us have probably heard it before, but there's a theme in the world that says, accept the Lord as your personal savior. Has anybody ever heard that at any point in time? Many of us have likely heard that religious statement, accept the Lord as your personal savior. That's what it takes to get into heaven's doors. Much of the world believes that's what it takes to be saved. That's what it takes to make it to heaven. And I don't want to rain or, or uh, you know, discount anyone's parade this morning, nor do I come to bash or put down another person's religion. I'm glad that you accept the Lord as your personal savior. All of us in here, can I get a witness, have accepted the Lord as our personal savior. The reason for that is we know there is no other Savior. Amen. There is no other person that can save you. There is no other person who can do what God can do in your life. If you think you can be saved by any, any man or woman, you're going to be let down this morning. There is only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. So starting there, believing that Jesus is your personal Savior, I do believe it shows a measure of belief and faith even when you truly believe that. But biblically, the process of salvation, we all know this morning, involves a lot more. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 5, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And as I laid his foundation this morning, we know repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost, those are the steps required if you want to make it into those gates. But not only does it really stop there, we must have faith, we must believe in God, we must be obedient to his word, and we must live a life of holiness. Those also go hand in hand after you have 
completed those steps of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and the Holy Ghost. It's all part of this journey. That's much more than just accepting the Lord as your personal Savior. Many of us know that, and as I lay this foundation this morning, I don't want to overstate how important that is. If you don't get anything else out of, that, out of the lesson this morning, you need to understand you must be filled with the Holy Ghost. You must be baptized in Jesus' name. You must repent of your sins. Those are non-negotiable in our walk with Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've never repented of your sins or been baptized in Jesus' name or been filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, then please don't leave this place until you do. Because tomorrow is not promised to us. Who knows what tomorrow may bring? Make your calling and election sure today. And so my point in starting this way is really when we get asked the question of do you accept the Lord as your personal Savior, I would actually consider this this morning. You're really asking the wrong question. Do you accept the Lord as your personal Savior? That's the wrong question to be asking. As we consider heaven, the question should not be, do we accept God? The real question is, does God accept you? Ask your neighbor this morning, does God accept you? And some of y'all may be getting all theologian on me and say, well, the Bible says, you know, come as you are, right? And that's true, but Jesus is not going to leave you where you are. Yes, he will accept you when you come, but there is a process. There's a way you have to travel. There's a, there's a road you must follow in order for him to accept you. The best way that I can envision this acceptance process is to consider this. If we were to die right now, if my life were to end at this very moment, the true indication on whether God accepts me or not would be evident in where I spend eternity. If I were to die right now, one moment after taking my final breath, would I find myself in heaven or would I find myself in hell? And this leads me to my first kind of sub point this morning, if I can put it that way. And that is we are presented with two options. How many know that? There are two options presented to us, heaven or hell. I know this may seem very, very simple. But it is truly heaven or hell. There's eternity with Jesus or there's eter eternal torment and fire. There is no in-between. It can be hard for us to imagine sometimes. You know, even I struggle to see it. And some days when I'm going through the trials of life, I struggle to maybe even believe it sometimes because it's difficult for us to see beyond the here and now. It's difficult to see beyond your current circumstance and look into or look through into the lenses of eternity. There are many people who don't believe in eternity at all. But I've come to tell someone this morning, both heaven and hell are very real places. The enemy, Satan, is trying to do all he can to drag as many souls with him as he can into destruction. And I pray, I hope, I plead that everyone listening this morning doesn't become one of those souls that goes with him. How many in here want to make it to heaven? I believe every hand will be lifted in here. How many want to hear Jesus say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant? Those are the words that I want to hear. When I, when I die, the, the first words I want to hear is, enter in, 
not to hell, but enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Come on, enter into the joy of the Lord. Those are the words that, that's all I want to hear. If I, if I hear anything else, I know I'm going to the wrong place. I believe all of us desire to make it. Who, what, who wouldn't want to go to a place where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sadness, where we worship Jesus face to face forever? Heaven's going to be a glorious place. It will be a holy place, the place where we know God will be. The Bible talks about heaven with the most descriptive words that our English language affords. It says this celestial city will be made of pure gold, so pure that it looks like clear glass. Can you imagine gold looking that pure, that clear? I can't even imagine it. The Bible says we're going to walk on streets paved with gold. And I'm like, the things we treasure, we're just going to stand on. We're just going to walk on. But that's what heaven will be like. The 12 gates will be made of 12 pearls, and the foundations are made of precious stones. The sun or the moon, they're not going to shine in heaven. For the glory of God will light the city, and the Lamb will be the light thereof. Amen. With this wonderful picture before us, Still the word declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Heaven will be better than anything we can envision it to be. When you think about the most paradise of places, some of y'all may think of a beach, sitting on the beach, kick your feet up, the sun shining. Maybe a bird's chirping or something. I don't know. Some of y'all like being in the cold. I'm going to pray for y'all. But I like it where it's nice and warm, where I'm just surrounded by God's creation, you know, something, something like that. But heaven's going to be so much better than that. Is there anyone who does not want to dwell in such a wonderful city when this present life is over? The good news is that no one needs to be excluded from heaven. No one, no one needs to be left out because the price of redemption has been paid already for the whole world. Everyone who seeks, and I don't just mean, you know, I'm seeking where I left my keys. No, everyone who seeks, who earnestly seeks him with redemption or for redemption with a sincere heart and with a spirit of repentance, the Bible declares those are the ones who will be saved. What's good about this topic is that Jesus' teaching here, as we're going to find in Matthew chapter 7, it's so simple. And as we will discuss in a minute, we're the ones that make this thing complex. We're the ones that screw it up in the long run when Jesus keeps it so plain and so simple. As we talk about the straight gate and the narrow way this morning, Jesus keeps it very, very simple. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life. And few there be that find it. The illustration Jesus uses here is very easy to understand, but a lot of times the meaning just goes right above our heads. It goes in one ear and goes out the other. Some 700 years before Jesus would utter these words, Isaiah would prophesy about this very same way. 
In Isaiah 35 and 8, he says, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. Jesus says that the straight gate and the narrow way will lead to life. How many want to go where life is? You don't want to go where death is, right? We want to go where life is. That life includes, one, living abundantly in our present time. John 10 and 10 says that. We can live abundantly in the here and now, but it also means there is life for us eternally. And that brings me to the first point I really want to make this morning, and that is the straight gate and the narrow way. They are precisely designed. Precisely designed. The straight gate and narrow way were created with precise dimensions. How many of you like it when something is precise? Have you, how many have ever tried to build something without the instructions? Mm. You wish it was so easy just to put things together, but then you realize you're missing one piece or you forgot a screw here and you're missing something there. And you're like, man, why is this so complicated? It's really not. If you would just follow the directions, hello, somebody, it would be so simple. Let me contrast that with this question. Can you live with impreciseness? Can you live with impreciseness when something is just haphazardly put together because that's just the way we did things? But I got a funny little story here. Recently, my job took me out to the West Coast into the state of Washington. And while I was there, of course, I stayed in contact with my wife. We FaceTimed one another as, you know, we're away, so that's all we can do just about every day. And I don't know if she was just tired of looking at my face, looking at my head um, all the time. But on one or, or more than one occasion, I should say, she kept telling me that I needed to get a haircut. And I admit my hair was getting too many afro length. You know, I had to comb it. I wore a hard hat while I'm on travel. That's what I wear. So I didn't care how my hair looked. But when I took it off and my wife had to see me every day, it was not very pretty. Um, so... Before coming home, though, as I kept hearing this from her, I was like, you know, I'm going to go stop and get a quick cut. You know, but I wanted to try something a little different, you know, fade it, kind of get it how it looks right now. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try something fresh. All was good. Let me tell you, all was good. I went to the barber. They hooked me up. All was good. I looked in the little mirror. I had my glasses off, though. That was problem number one. Had my glasses off. But I put them on real quick, and I was like, okay, looks good. All was good till I got back to my hotel room, and I finally got a true side profile of that cut. Let me tell you that preciseness does matter, y'all. It does. It does. That barber somehow jacked my hairline up, jacked it up. I just got my hair cut a couple days ago. And the first thing the barber here said was, who in the world jacked your hair up? The first thing that they said, I'm thinking, you know, time has passed. It's been about three weeks. My hair has grown back. It shouldn't look that bad. But they still could see how jacked up the previous barber had done to my hair. So you may not think it makes a difference, but preciseness does matter. And I know that's somewhat of a funny example, but being precise does matter. How many understand when God designs something, 
He doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't miss the little details. He's meticulous. He's careful. And he's error-free in his design. He's faithful and exact in everything he does. If you don't believe me, just look around at nature. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And every day they remain exactly in the same place where he put them. Every day the sun rises and the sun falls. The moon shines and the moon doesn't shine. Basically all at God's command, they still stay where he put them. I may have shared this before in previous lessons, but if the sun was one mile closer to us, we would all die from the heat. Just one mile closer, we couldn't stand the sun being that close to us. Life would not exist. Consequently, if the sun was to move one mile further from us, we'd all freeze because the temperature would be too cold. Think about that. And as I prepared for this lesson, I came across an article written way back in 1980 that talks about how precise God was in creation. The author says this, isn't it interesting as we talk about straight is the gate and narrow is the way, how narrow the laws of nature are. Water at sea level boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, not 210, not 211, but exactly at 212. It freezes at 32 degrees above zero, not at 34 or at 33. I don't understand how the water knows when it's time to freeze, but it never makes a mistake when that temperature is met. It never forgets. It's never influenced by anybody else's opinion. Like all other natural laws, it performs right on the nose every time. The author would say, each year our planet makes a 595 million mile orbit around the sun. It always travels at a rate of 66,600 miles per hour, and it completes its journey every year at exactly 365 days, 6 hours, 9 minutes, and 54 of 100 seconds. The time of completion of such a journey can be more accurately foretold than your trip to go get something to eat from the living room to the dining room. We can more accurately know when tomorrow will start and when the end of the year is than we know of how tomorrow is going to actually go. When we think about how narrow-minded and exact God was in creation, he says this, electricity is also a little bit on the narrow-minded side. A compass points all the time to the magnetic north. It never points east or west or south. Mathematics, which you know I like, is also narrow. Two times two is always what? Four. Thank you. You guys can, can add and, and multiply a little bit. But it's never three and seven-eighths. It's always four. And if you've ever had an airplane ride through a violent storm that required the pilot to land via instrument, you will remember how you prayed for that narrow-minded pilot that he would never get off the way or a little way off the beam. Because if he were to get broad-minded instead of narrow-minded at that time, maybe it would have brought about your sudden death. Being precise matters, and God never makes an error. So as we look at straight is the gate and narrow is the way a little more deeply, why are the dimensions that Jesus describes here, why are they designed in such a way? Why must it be a straight gate and a narrow way? Why does that way lead to life and the wide or broad way lead to death? The simplest answer I can give you to this is the straight gate and narrow way 
are the dimensions that they are because, one, God says so. When God says something, it is so, right? That's the simplest answer I can give you. But the next best answer I can give you is they are also designed in such a precise way because of what or rather who God is. We know that God is holy. Leviticus 11 and 45 says, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. We know God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2 and 13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. Even when we're not faithful to God, he's still faithful to us. He cannot deny himself, the word says. The next thing, God is light. 1 John 1 and 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And many of us know the last one I want to say here, God is love. 1 John 4 and 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Understand this morning that Jesus did not just decide to make the way of salvation hard because God is not mean-spirited. Understand that this morning. The narrow way is the dimension that it is because it corresponds to his holiness. We could never see God face-to-face if we weren't striving to be like God. And there is a barrier there where he is holy and something unholy is not going to get close to him. You guys understand that. The dimension it is is because he is holy And it's also a reflection of his righteousness. If anything, we need to appreciate and be thankful that God loves us so much that he does not withhold from us the measurement or the requirements of the way that lead to his holy presence, the way that leads to heaven. I'm glad God didn't say, oh, you can just make it anyway, but he was very set. And this is the way that you can make it so that all of us have a chance to follow. Amen. God wants all of us to be with him in eternity and share in his glory. That's why the way has the dimension that it does. There's no hint in Jesus' words that the straight gate and the narrow way or the narrow road vary slightly from one another in their width. The Bible's not meant to be confusing as I try to explain this. If I can make it even plainer this morning, the straight gate and the narrow way are really one and the same. You can't have one without the other. John 10 and 7, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am straight as the gate. That's me that I'm pointing at. And then John 14 and 6, Jesus also says, I am the way. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. There's no variance. There's no difference between Christ the door and Christ the way. He's making it plain to us that the road to life, the way to heaven, the way to get to where we want to get to goes directly through Jesus Christ and him alone. The passage through the door or gate is designed in such a precise manner. It was made so straight that there's no room for flesh to pass through. There's no room for you pinch that stuff. There's no room for your own ideas to get in the way. There's no room for you to say, I can get there by my own good deeds. That's the reason why it's made in such a precise way. 
The Bible talks about when we get to heaven, we're going to remove this corruptible and put on incorruptible. The next point I want to make this morning is found at the end of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14. The Bible says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And this part at the end says, and few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. That's my next point. Everyone, in some way, shape, or form, wants to be successful and happy. And as I read an article about this, this is what the article said, or commentary said. It says, everyone wants to be successful and happy, and yet many fall down. The primary reason for failure is the natural tendency to want a broader road than any real success will permit. The broad road leading to destruction maintains its popularity because it is easier to follow. It makes fewer demands upon us or upon its travelers, and it allows much more room for when we have to sidestep or when we have to meander or when we decide, oh, that road looks better, and so we, we meander off in another direction. Or this wide road that, that this author talks about it's a lot easier to follow because we could turn around anytime we want. Most people want more latitude than the narrow road can give. Almost all failure begins merely by broadening the way. Too frequently, people yield to their natural tendency to explore the side roads and travel the dead-end streets because the road leading to death is broad enough to permit many, sorry, because the road leading to death is broad enough to permit many forbidden activities. Many travelers never arrive at their desired destination. No one ever leaves the success highway at right angles. They don't just make an immediate turn. Instead of acknowledging that they're stepping out of bounds, they try to keep in good standing with themselves and make things appear legal to others by merely, instead of making a right angle, they just deviate a little bit. They just broaden their path or broaden their way. The author of this commentary says this narrow road concept, on the other hand, with the exact meaning that Jesus attached to it in a spiritual sense, it's also important that we have this narrow-minded concept for reaching high objectives in every other area of pursuit, whether it's intellectual, social, physical, financial, the road to every success and every happiness is narrow. We must keep ourselves within its bounds, and we must make certain that the road itself leads to the right destination. So as we look at Matthew 7 and 14, the question is, how will people miss the gate? How will there be folks that won't even find it? And I'd reason that most will miss the gate because of three primary reasons. One is that they're simply not looking for it in the first place. Amen. How many of you know somebody that isn't even looking or better yet considering heaven or where they're going to spend eternity? It's just not on their mind. They got other stuff to do. Maybe they're simply only concerned with this life and haven't put any thought into the next one or even believe that there is an eternity. Maybe it's not even important to them. There could be tons of excuses, but if you're not looking, you're never going to find it. The second reason that folks won't find the gate 
is that there is a very real enemy that is deceiving a lot of folks. He's a master at making the broad and wide gate appear, appear to be straight and narrow by lying to us and getting us focused on the wrong things. Jesus warns us in the next verse, he tells us to beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. It's going to look like they, they got it all together. It's going to look like in that sheep's clothing, they're a lamb. They're following Jesus Christ just like you are. But Jesus says, or he calls them ravening wolves. And he says, you're going to know them by their fruit. Somebody say fruit. You're going to know them by their fruit. Be careful who you let influence and speak into your life. They could be a tool of the enemy. Check the fruit first. Check the facts first. The third reason why people will miss the gate, Jesus, as he says this, as we read this, the third reason that Jesus says people will miss the gate, he says there will be few that find it. There will be few that find it. When I read that language Jesus is using here, it tells me that the gate is going to be hidden to certain folks. We understand from these words that, right, there's going to be few that find it. We can imply then that there are a lot of, po- lot of people seeking it. There's a lot of people that are looking for it, but they're not going to find it. Only a few people are going to be successful. And the reason why they're not going to be able to find it is because it goes back to my first point. The way, the gate is precisely designed. The folks that won't find it is because they're looking through fleshly eyes. Their failure to find that straight-gated, narrow way is due to their flesh. This happens when we're not seeking God with our whole heart. Jeremiah 29 and 23 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. The truth is people do not just happen upon the narrow way and the straight gate casually. They just don't find it out of luck. You're not just going to luck your way into heaven. How many understand that? You're just not. This is apparent, or these are apparent in Isaiah 35 and 8, a verse we read earlier, when Isaiah says, the foolish at the end, though fools shall not err therein. The foolish or the folks, you know, those who are presumptuous or less than sincere about the things of God, they're not going to inadvertently stumble onto this way. The straight gate is hidden to the human wisdom and thinking, but it's revealed to an honest and a searching heart. Earlier in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. We must seek the Lord with all of our heart, with everything that we have, or else we stand to miss the straight gate and narrow way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on heaven. Whatever I got to do to make it, I want to be willing to make it. If that means I got to get even more narrow, if that means I got to surrender some things, if that means I have to crucify this flesh even more than I'm doing right now, then I'm willing to do that to make it into those gates. Amen. My last point this morning is that one day 
the Bible says the door will shut on the straight gate and the narrow way. Luke 13 and 24, we read this earlier, says strive. Jesus says, do all you can. Strive. Seek me earnestly with all your heart. That's what striving means. Do whatever you can to enter in into the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, they're going to seek to enter it, and they shall not be able. There's going to come a day when people will no longer be able to enter in. The people of whom Jesus is speaking about, who will seek to enter and shall not be able, are going to be those who take some action towards salvation, but who will perish because they don't go far enough. They seek and maybe they get discouraged, so they say, oh, that's enough for me. They seek and maybe things don't go how they imagine they to go. That's that fleshly thinking right there. They seek and maybe they're not willing to walk on that holiness road because they want to broaden the way. They seek and that's why they're going to turn away because they're not willing to go far enough. They likely saw the gate, respected the way even, but they came short of grace and glory because they arrested or they rested in occasionally seeking for that which we can only attain by striving day by day by day. How many know this walk with God is not a one and done? Every day you wake up, you got to decide to strive for the Lord every day. Trust me, it's not easy sometimes, but you must strive, Jesus says, strive to enter the straight gate. The folks he's talking about are the folks who will put off salvation for another day. Or better yet, when it comes to choosing the narrow way now, they say, I'll get back to that when it's more convenient to me. Jesus said, in order to make it to heaven, our names must be written in the Lamb's book of life. One fact is certain. This group of people did not seek in earnest to make their calling and election sure while the door of mercy was open. If you look at verse 25, Jesus says, when once the master of the house has risen up and he has shut the door and ye begin to stand without and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open it, open it, please, God. He shall answer and say unto you, I know you not when she are. Once the master has risen up and shut the door, that's when the people realized God wasn't playing. That's when he realized, uh-oh, I, I, I missed my opportunity. That's when they strive, really. Now they're really striving. Jesus says strive to enter into the straight gate, but now the door's shut. Now they really want to strive with all that they have. Gone was their occasional or, you know, half-hearted way of seeking God. After the door is shut, Jesus says it's then that they became sincere in their prayers. After the door is shut, then... They realize their opportunity has left them. They're not able to enter them, and now their prayers come too late. And the funny thing is we can see that these people, they weren't ignorant of Jesus and his way. They probably came to church, sat on some church pews just like you and I. But we can see by their plea of who they are. These are the people, they say, Jesus, we've, we've sat in your presence we have eaten, we have drunk in, in thy presence, Matthew 7 and 21 says. We, we've, uh, we've eaten in your presence, God. You have taught in our streets. 
we've got a relationship with you. We've, we've seen you, and we said, hey, Jesus, how you doing today? We, we know who you are, but we don't have that striving for that straight gate. They admitted that they had listened to the gospel story. They had heard the call to Christ in their heart, but they had failed to heed when they needed to sufficiently. In Matthew 7 and 21, this is the right verse, sorry. Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Listen to that, that Lord, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. They knew who to call when, when the time came shut. They knew who they were supposed to follow when they were supposed to follow him. They say, Lord, Lord. But he, sorry, I'm getting my scriptures all jacked up this morning, y'all. Sorry. There's going to come a day when that door will shut and you won't have the opportunity anymore. All the while that they had been feigning Christianity, they had continued in the Broadway, these folks. For Jesus says to them at, both, at the end of both of my stories that I wrote this, that I written this morning, depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. How careful should we be to cherish the call of God, to strive earnestly to enter the straight gate when the opportunity is available to us? Somebody tell your neighbor now. Now is the time to enter the straight gate and narrow way. Because I said earlier, tomorrow's not promised. Who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? We must diligently walk the narrow way until the door of heaven closes safely behind all of us. And so please stand with me this morning as I come to a close. Matthew chapter 7 and 14, my theme of the verse this morning. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life. Few there be that find it. I hope I did a good job sharing what the Lord has given me this morning. I certainly, I certainly didn't come to bring doom and gloom. If anything, I've come to encourage and bring hope that, yes, Jesus is coming soon, and we must get ready if we want to enter into the heaven that he has prepared for us. Right now, we're privileged to live in a dispensation of grace. And what that means is that God's grace is available to every one of us. Maybe you were on the broad path yesterday, but today you can make a change and go into the straight gate and narrow way. All of us have the opportunity to go the right way. And like Jesus proclaimed, we must strive to enter into the straight gate. Are we perfect? No. None of us are perfect. Striving means we're making the decision every day to do what's right. We're all flesh. Bishop would say pinch that stuff, but we are all flesh. We're all going to make mistakes sometimes. But that's why the grace is available to us. His grace is sufficient for us. This morning, you don't have to choose the alternative way, the broad way, which takes us in the opposite direction from him. Furthermore, if you have found yourself heading that way today, today is the day to turn around. Don't let the enemy nor your flesh lead you astray. The truth is the broad gate, it gets wider and wider every day. More and more people join that path every day. It's crowded. It's cluttered but it feels comfortable to folks. And, and the devil's just like, come on, come on, come on. But understand, Jesus is pointing in another direction. The narrow gate is narrow, 
because there is no other way to enter into the kingdom of heaven except through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. The point of interest is narrow because it alludes to faith in Jesus and no one or nothing else. If you put your faith in this world, I'm sorry, you're putting it in the wrong place. If you put your faith in flesh or people, I'm sorry, you're putting your faith in the wrong place. If you put your faith in the government, your job, your money, sorry, you're putting it in the wrong place. You must put it on Jesus. The wide gate, in contrast, has many people entering through it because it's wide. There is no bounds to how many people can go through that gate. It's convenient. It's inviting. It looks good. I won't lie. It looks good. It feels good. But it's ever crowded with people. And unfortunately, this wide gate, Jesus says immediately, when eternity comes, it's going to immediately be destruction. The wide gate represents all other options in which men say life or eternal life can be entered. Even if you confess the Lord as your personal Savior, I'm sorry, you've got to do more than that. You've got to strive to enter in. You can't rely on your good works. Jesus, even today, is inviting everyone who will listen to seek the straight gate and narrow way, which happens to be himself. There is only one way to heaven which makes it narrow, and that's Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Raise your hands with me if you're willing to strive to enter the straight gate and narrow way. Lord Jesus. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.